Hi, I'm Skip Nipper. Welcome to my podcast, where I tell you about Nashville's great baseball history and traditions. Shot to right a one-hop liner. Certainly about its past, especially about Tom Wilson Park, Herschel Greer Stadium, Sulphur Dale, but also a little bit about its present and future, too. Yes, he can. A mix the waist-high catch. And I introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans and their love for everything baseball. A high fly ball down the right field corner going way back. Hits a leadoff home run. I had a couple of great events that I was able to participate in the last few weeks. One was I found out from my friend Jerry Wood, who lives in Newmarket, Tennessee, as an author and playwright, let me know about a wonderful museum in Morristown, of all places, a baseball museum. The owner is Jameson Pack. So I found out that there was an opportunity to visit with Andrew Jones, the former Atlanta Brave player, outfielder, great defensive player. I think he has 10 gold gloves. He was going to be there a couple of Sundays ago, and I bought tickets so that my brother, who lives in Johnson City, could come down. And we spent an hour or so in the museum and had a Q&A with Andrew Jones, and he signed a ball for us. And we really enjoyed that. But besides that, it was great to meet Andrew Jones and talk to him But Jameson has put together a wonderful museum, and I'll have more about that. I hope to have him a guest, even though that's not specifically baseball history as it pertains to our city. But it's baseball history, and I think you'd enjoy that. And if you want to know more about that, you can go to grovewoodbaseball.com and find out more about his exhibit. And then a few nights ago, I had a chance through the Nashville Stars for hosting Joe Posnanski, who's written a couple of books. And... Bob Kendricks, who is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, was also in attendance. And a nice treat to that was Joe and Marty Stewart, the Country Music Hall of Fame member, was there and played a little background music while Joe read some passages from his book. And that was a nice event, too. And then third, yesterday, on Saturday, November the 4th, was our quarterly Sabre meeting. We have a Nashville chapter. It's called the Grantland Rice Fred Russell Nashville chapter, and we had 10 or 11 of our members who meet online, met online. We had some great talks for a little over two hours, and I would always encourage you, if you want to know more, go to sabr.org. I encourage you to join your $65 or $70 annual membership allows you lots of research opportunities, and I think there's some misconception that to be a member of Sabre that you have to learn a lot about the metrics of baseball, and you don't. I'm not interested in it. Exit velocity means nothing to me, but certainly how many home runs Babe Ruth hit. It does mean something to me and a lot of things like that, the historical, the traditional aspect of baseball. So if you want to know more, you certainly can write me about that too, and I'll give you my address at the end of this. But getting back to today with daylight savings time ending, we gained the one hour we gave up in March and are now on standard time. And except for clocks that are not connected in some way to the internet office manager who automatically changes our electronic devices, well, we'll take a few days, maybe a few weeks, if you're like me, to get our own biological clocks in sequence to navigate through daily routines. And I was thinking about this, and it caused me to wonder about the times baseball games begin these days. Yes, the 2023 World Series is over. Congratulations to the Rangers and my son, Doug, and my daughter, Becky, and their families who make their home in Texas. And I suppose we will no longer go back to the glory days when kids in school were elated 
when their teacher surprised them by rolling a television into their classroom to watch the World Series during the day. I remember it happening at Dalewood Elementary School, and we took great delight in going home and announcing to our parents that we had changed our mind about Mr. Grisso being too dry with too much Edgar Allan Poe, and he was really a great guy by his act of baseball kindness, when actually he wanted to watch the games too. I'm reminded that the new owners of the Nashville Vols, who took over in 1926, decided to turn Sulphurdale Ballpark completely around because the setting sun during afternoon games shone directly into the eyes of the batters as they faced the state capitol to the northwest since there was no thought of installing lights for night baseball. And the new concrete and steel structure that was built in the opposite direction of the old ballpark and allowed the batters' backs to be to the setting sun, although in no fairness to the center fielder for either team because they had to face old Saul directly. Those were the days of games played close to the business district of downtown Nashville. I have read where Fred Russell, famous sports writer of the Nashville Banner, the local evening newspaper. I read where he said that he could make his way to Sulphurdale, watch the game, which in those days lasted a couple of hours at the most, then head back to the Banner office and submit his report of the game in plenty of time for the day's edition to be published and then head home in time for supper. Now, here are a few times for Nashville games at the famous ballpark in 1908, many years before it was turned around. But remember, in the very old days, the time was Central Standard. On June the 9th, 1908, Little Rock played at Nashville, and the game was called at 4 o'clock. Now, in those days, game called meant the game time, not necessarily that the game was over. And on August the 8th, two months later, 1908, Atlanta played at Nashville, a doubleheader with the first game beginning at 2.30. And then September the 18th, 1908, New Orleans at Nashville, the game called at 3.30 p.m. It was the same in subsequent years until an act to preserve daylight and provide standard time for the United States was enacted by the resolution of both houses of Congress. That took place on March the 19th, 1918, and the law set summer daylight saving time to begin on March 31, 1918, only 12 days later. Now, I often wonder how the fans took to the change in time, as we've grumbled about it a little bit ourselves. But as it goes to baseball, how it affected attendance. Not everyone who worked in the city were able to leave work early to attend an afternoon game. But with the announcement by Congress in 1918, Nashville Vols President Clyde Shropshire decided to change the starting time for games at Sulphurdale during the early part of the season to 4.30, and after that to 5 o'clock, I suppose to give more fans a chance to get to the game. By the added hour of daylight, he felt an opportunity would be presented to a large percentage of fans who had been denied that privilege through attachment to work. And he thought the new plan would be a boon to his baseball club, since more fans would attend games as they would visit Sulphurdale from work without missing the first hour of games, if that was the case. And sports writer Blinky Horn had his own take on Shropshire's edict when he wrote, but the Vols should be able to collect a considerable supply of turnstile lubricant 
from that percentage of citizens freed 60 minutes of daylight sooner from the work. The Southern Association season was scheduled to open on April the 18th, but Nashville was set to play in Birmingham for one game, then travel to Sulphurdale the next day for the Vols' first home game, also against the Barons. And Nashville took that game in Birmingham 7 to nothing. But when the starting time was announced for opening day in Nashville, it was set for 3.30, not 4.30 p.m. Did Shropshire change his mind about the connection of time to money? Or did he have the same inkling that the newspaper did about how much savings there really would be? Well, we darn well know that the baseball gods changed World Series starting time some time ago from daytime tonight for more television sets to tune in. After all, there were high salaries to pay, as there still are, not to speak of light bills. And sponsors, of course, wanted the best bang for the buck as advertising dollars. Makes sense to me, or does it? But the Nashville Baseball Club thought about this idea and moved to install lights when they figured out that families were buying cars, taking the trolley less, and night baseball was on the horizon. So lights were added to the ballpark in 1931, and on May the 18th, the Vols played their first night game against the Mobile Marines. Nashville lost the contest 8-1. to And in a way of comparison, the first Major League Baseball game played under lights took place on May the 24th, 1935 at Crosley Field in Cincinnati between the Cincinnati Reds and the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, as an aside to that, you may remember that Johnny Vandermeer tossed consecutive no-hitters in 1938. The first was on June the 11th against the Boston Braves in Cincinnati, but the second one took place four days later, June the 15th, against the Brooklyn Dodgers, and it was the first night game at Ebbets Field. Now, I kind of went a long way around talking about daylight savings time, but I think you get the point. And to let you know how Congress's first attempt at declaring an extra hour of sunlight went after being observed for seven months in 1918 and 1919, daylight saving time proved unpopular and was repealed. It became a local option, but was instituted during World War II from February the 9th, 1942 to September the 30th, 1945 by President Franklin Roosevelt called wartime. To us, no matter which time, when we attend a ball game, we're ready for game time.